on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They've taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture, which said that he must rise from death. Then the disciples went back home. Mary. What a morning for Mary. What a morning for Peter and John. What a morning for us. And it all comes down to this, right? It all comes down to this, this day in history. In 33 AD, when Jesus was still walking around on the planet, there were about 120 followers of Jesus Christ. Not that many. They multiplied from the original 12 followers during that three-and-a-half-year ministry to about 120 people. Today, 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? 2.3 billion say, I believe Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. He died for my sins, and he rose three days later on Easter, and he's coming back one day. 2.3 billion Christians. That's one out of three people on the planet. What happened? How did something like that grow from this little small group of Jewish believers, fishermen, to the largest organization on planet Earth? What is the reason for this amazing growth? Well, it all comes down to this day in history. What's amazing to me is that Jesus Christ never wrote anything down. He never wrote a book. He never wrote a letter. He, he never wrote anything down. More books have been written about Jesus Christ than any other subject in all of the history of mankind. And he didn't write anything. He never wrote any songs. He never composed any music. But more music has been written about Jesus Christ than any other subject combined, bar none. The greatest music over the last 2,000 years is, is granted to be written by the church in all different styles of music. And think about this. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from his home during his earthly ministry. Yet today you can find... Uh, Followers of Jesus Christ in every crook and nanny, uh, cranny of the planet. One out of every three 
people on the planet. And it all comes down to this. The resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. It is the single most important event in history. It, in fact, we split our history by this event. Everything is graded A.D. or B.C. on the event of the resurrection. And even your birthday is dated in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we say 2015, from what? The reference point is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It literally split history into A.D. and B.C. And it all comes down to this. And it was true in Mary Magdalene's life. It was true with Peter and John. There were no street lights. There were no headlights. Not even flashlights. There was just darkness. And some women walking through a big city on the way out to an area just outside the city. And Mary, the woman from Magdalene, was probably asking herself, oh, if only he hadn't come to Jerusalem at this time. If only the disciples would have done a better job of secluding him. If only this tumult wasn't going on in the Roman Empire at this time. Mary was probably trying in her mind to do what all of us try to do at some point or another to reverse the past, to go backward in the story. Do you ever do any video replays in your mind? <laughs> do you ever replay some scenes over and over and over again? That's perhaps what some of you are doing today. Did you ever ask the question, what if, what if? Some of you have parts of your story that are incredibly difficult. I know the story of some of you, not all, of course. Maybe even parts that just took a moment, just took a second, just took a minute. You're saying to yourself, if only I hadn't been fiddling with that radio in the car at that moment. If only I hadn't gone to that party that night. If only I hadn't taken that person's advice. Some of you have questions in your mind. You have an image of something that you would love to reverse, to erase. Some of you haven't had that moment yet, but you probably will. Because all of us will one day find ourselves hearing the whirring of machines around us, the beeping of monitors, the pulling of ventilators, the rustling of cords. All of us will experience what we cannot imagine now, the fear that we're slipping out into that journey of the unknown called death. They tell us that the moment before that happens, they say your life flashes before your eyes. I don't know if that's true, but I, I've heard it so many times. But I know if it's true that it's probably true because we're, we're asking, could we turn it back? Could we reverse it? Could we reverse the course of this story? And every human being asks that question because your little story and my little story is part of a much larger, a much older, a much deeper, a much bigger story telling us that things around us, well, they're just, they just aren't right. They just aren't right. 
The story in Genesis chapter 3 is a story of something that is wrecked, a train wreck. Something went wrong in the garden at some point in history. A, a wreck that you and I have repeated in all of our lives, and we keep repeating it. And this woman named Mary thinks she's facing a personal crisis. She winds up in a garden, but Scripture reminds us that what she's facing here isn't a personal crisis. She's facing an ancient story. She's facing a a story of sin and fallenness. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. If you've ever been to Joshua Tree National Park in California, you will have some viewed some very large stones. If you ever get close, you ought to go. Uh, it's, it's huge. It's miles and miles of these amazing rock formations. The landscape in that place is like walking on the moon. If you've ever traveled to Israel, you'll also know that it's a land of stones. I'll never forget a little boy in Jerusalem trying to sell my dad a little rock for what he said, one American dollar. And my dad was about to board the bus, and this little boy thought that he would be a, a, a candidate for, to, to buy this little old rock that he just picked up off the ground. He's one American dollar, sir, one American dollar. And because dad had to get on the bus, the little boy was so disappointed that when we looked out the window of the bus, we just, he could just hear him saying, oh, sucks, and threw the rock away. Because it's not difficult to find a rock in Israel. And this stone that covered the entrance of the tomb was very large, perhaps circular in in shape, and it was shoved into place in front of the tomb. The last thing the religious authorities wanted was to have some body-snatching thief who would take the body, and then these Christians would pronounce that he had been raised from the dead. So it was a massive stone. It was somehow sealed, and a guard was posted to prevent any intrusion. I'm not sure what Mary was expecting that morning when she got to the garden tomb, knowing this big stone had been rolled in front. But nevertheless, she came. And the other gospel writers include that the other women came as well and discovered that the stone had been rolled away. So maybe maybe Mary Magdalene arrived on the scene first, and she discovered it. And and perhaps she was thinking, oh no, Ah, so it all comes down to this. Now, someone has stolen our Savior's body. What next? Of course, we look back on this perspective from 2,000 years. Imagine returning to the grave of a close friend or family member just a couple of days after the funeral. And as you approach the burial site to leave your flowers, you see that the dirt has been moved back from the hole and the body is missing. Naturally, you would feel shocked and you would wonder what in the world is going on here and your heart would begin to beat fast because this is your loved one. You know, every time Jesus talked about his death, he also talked about his resurrection. But in the chaos of the moment, it's, it's not easy to remember the good part of the story. We only see the hard part. Author Joe Bailey Buried three sons. I can't imagine such tragedy. 
The last was his five-year-old son. And the day after burying his son, who had died of leukemia, he paid a visit to the doctor, who had been so kind to the Bailey family the nine months between diagnosis and death. And he wrote a book. It's a number of years ago now. The View from a Hearse. The doctor's secretary beckoned to me as I approached the desk. She didn't say, the doctor will see you now. Instead, she looked at a little boy playing on the floor. In my preoccupation, I had failed to notice others in the waiting room. I was going through my own stuff. She spoke quietly. He has the same problem your little boy had. I sat down next to the little boy's mother. We were far enough away from him, so he talked softly so he couldn't hear us. It's hard bringing him in here every couple of weeks for these tests, I said. Hard, she answered. Hard, I die every time. And now he's beginning to sense that something's wrong. Her voice trailed off. It's good to know, I I said, speaking slowly, that even though the medical outlook seems to be hopeless, we can be sure that after our child dies that he will be completely removed from sickness and suffering and everything like that, and he will be completely happy again. The woman said, if only I could believe that, but I don't. When he dies, I'll just have to cover him up with dirt and forget that I ever had him. She turned back to watch her little boy play with a car. I'm glad I don't feel that way. I wanted to leave her alone with her apprehension. I wanted to be alone to grief. But I was compelled to speak. Why? She didn't look at me. Well, because we covered our little boy up with dirt yesterday afternoon. And I'm here to thank the doctor for his kindness. You look like a rational person. She was looking straight at me now. How can you possibly believe that the death of a little boy or an adult is any different from the death of an animal? You see, it all comes down to this. It is. It comes down to this. Jesus coming into the world and giving his life on a cross to take our sins and to give us hope and a future with him forever. It comes down to a stone rolled away from a tomb. The stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in so that we might see something that we will never forget. So Mary ran and found Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. You know that story, John. Listen to her heart. They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. Not a moment's hesitation with Peter and John. They're soon in a foot race to see who gets to the empty tomb first. Maybe John's a little bit younger, maybe a little more fit. 
Maybe he's been in some half marathons. I, we, don't, we don't know. But he's a stronger runner than Peter. And he gets to the graveside first. He doesn't go into the tomb. He just looks in. And he sees the strips of linen lying there. And when Peter, Simon Peter pulls up alongside of John, he doesn't hesitate. You know, that's Peter. He goes right into the tomb. And as soon as he does that, then John follows him into the tomb. I want us to notice in rather brief fashion this morning that there are three verbs translated to see. Verses 3 to 8. And they're, they're, uh, they're quite helpful to be aware of because they have different nuances. And I won't be tedious with this, but just follow me for a moment. Verse 5 is, is the verb to look. It says, he, John, stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings there. He looked in. The verb means simply to glance in, to look in, to do it rather quickly. In the next verse, verse 6, the verb to look means to look carefully, to observe. Then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside and he also noticed, observed carefully, the linen wrappings lying there. And then the verb is used again in verse 8, and it means to perceive with intelligent comprehension. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. He saw and believed. That's interesting. John was the first one to arrive on the scene. He peered into the tomb area. He observed without necessarily understanding it. Now, we can look at a lot of things in life that way. We see it, but we really don't think a whole lot about it. It only requires the use of our eyes. You came to church this morning. Many of you had to stop at stop signs or red lights. Do you remember when you did that? No, you don't remember. You just, they were there, but you just did it. You saw it. You did it. You didn't think about it. You see the cross behind me this morning? You've been looking at it for 40 minutes. It's beautiful, a beautiful decor. And up in front here, it's beautiful. But you see it, and once you've seen it, well, it's just there. It's nice. Peter, when he arrives on the scene, goes right into the tomb, and he too saw the linen wrappings lying there. He noticed them. He noticed also the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So there is a deeper level of observation going on. He is studying the scene. This is like a CSI episode. The scene is under thorough investigation. And he's thinking, what in the world happened here? Looks like nothing is disturbed. I mean, the, the linen wrappings are perfect. And it looks like the body has just been sucked up out of it. Nothing has moved. And then there's the head covering, and it's placed so neatly over here. It's like if someone actually came in to steal the body, they would have just picked up the body, or they would have just thrown the wrapping. So what's going on here? What would you be thinking? If you were part of the CSI team, how would you explain this? And that's exactly what Peter was calculating. But then John also went in, and he saw precisely what Peter saw. And it says... He saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. This is quite a different look. It means to grasp the meaning of something so as to understand it. 
Oh, I get it. I get it. He saw and believed. He got it. Isn't that great when you get something, you see it, you understand it, and John got it. Interesting progression. First of all, a more casual glance, then a more studied approach, and then a real insight, real clarity. It clicks. John saw and he believed. And it became a heart experience. Kind of what I was hearing this morning in those who were sharing. Little by little by little. Get it. As we celebrate this marvelous day, Perhaps it's appropriate to not only casually observe what happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's likely where we begin. We connect Easter with an Easter egg hunt, some chocolate, or a family gathering. And we're going to hunt those eggs this afternoon. I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. I saw Grandma hiding the eggs this morning. So we'll be having some fun. But we move on from that. We begin to think there must be more and more, and we study it more closely. A German theologian by the name of Wolfhart Pannenberg once said, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. It it is appropriate to be the CSI agent examining the evidence. It's completely appropriate to go over the material, to study the life of Christ, to see who he really is. Dr. Frank Morrison, a well-educated Brit, an attorney by profession, was a skeptic in matters of faith. He's very, very bright and very, very logical. He believed in the historical Jesus as a person, but he denied the historic belief in the resurrection. And like a Sherlock Holmes, he pursued the question of Jesus' resurrection from a purely intellectual point of view. He wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? And in the preface he writes, This stone is the inner story of a man who originally set out to write one kind of book but found himself compelled by the sheer force of circumstances to write quite another. Somehow, he said, my perspective shifted. Not suddenly, as in a flash of insight or inspiration, but slowly, almost imperceptibly, by the very stubbornness of the facts themselves. Dr. Frank Morrison looked casually, studied in depth, and then one day it clicked. He saw and believed. And the Spirit of God warmed his heart, removed his pride, and allowed him to see that it all comes down this. This day, this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And my prayer this morning for all of us is that there would be a progression. If it's been casual for you, not a lot of attention, but you know it's there, maybe move to a more careful analysis of the claims of Christ, who He really is, and that He died and rose again. And perhaps for some today to move to the heart level to really getting it. It's about a relationship with Him. This is about trusting my life and my future to Him. This is about clicking in to the deeper part of your life. It all comes down to this. And the resurrection will change your life 
First, we don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore because Jesus paid for, for my sins on the cross. He was nailed to the cross so I can stop nailing myself to the cross. You know, most people go through life riddled by guilt and shame and they carry this huge load with them throughout all the days of their journey. We've all made mistakes. We've all failed. There are no exceptions. We are all guilty. But the resurrection changes all of that because Jesus is alive. And he took our sins upon himself and he forgives us. So I hope you go today in the forgiveness of Jesus. Secondly, we don't have to fear death anymore. That's the number one human fear. But Jesus defeated death. He conquered death. He overcame death. The next time you drive by a cemetery, hang your head out the window and say, Cemetery, you lose. I know you look weird, but you'll be theologically correct. Because Jesus proved there is life beyond death. So I don't have to fear death anymore. Thirdly, we can live with purpose and meaning. I, I can now live with purpose and meaning. I have meaning to my life. I have purpose to my life. And the reason is because Jesus said, I came to give you real life. And finally, we can be certain of heaven. Because of the resurrection, I can be sure I go to heaven. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you know for a fact that if you died tonight, you'd immediately go to heaven? If you were to die tonight and you were to go before God and he said to you, why should I allow you to be in my perfect heaven? What would you say? I tried to be a nice person. I tried to be good. Problem with that answer is you can't be nice enough because heaven is a perfect place and we are not. I stopped being perfect a long time ago. I expect you did too. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus to forgive all of our sins. Easter Sunday, it all comes down to this. What a morning for Mary. What a morning for Peter and John. What a morning for us. Amen. Let's pray. If you'd like to say yes to Christ today, Simply with an open heart, with a sincere heart, say, Risen Lord, I want you to be in my life. Would you forgive my past? Would you forgive my sin? Lord, would you start your new life in me today because I'm giving my, myself to you? Would you come and take control of my life because I want you to? Take control of my life today, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, tell someone after the closing prayer. Come up and tell, tell me. I would rejoice in that this morning if you said yes to Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. You are the risen Lord Jesus, and you're worthy of all of our love. And forever we will love you. Amen.